The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Tear? Sarah Jane? And welcome to the Doctor Who pod with Sai and Dan, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Sai, and this is Dan. How you doing, my friend? Yeah, not too bad, buddy. Happy to be getting back into this with uh, a special little episode because with uh, one thing and another and, and life getting in the way, it's, it's been a minute since I've uh, since I've spoken to you properly. So, uh, yeah, so merry merry Christmas and happy New Year and all yeah, of that. And to you, <laughs> and to you. I'm glad it's now that that's out of the way. Though. <laughs> I'm glad it's out of the way, mate. Oh, Christmas gets on my nerves. It gets on. It does my nut, mate. What? What I'm doesn't though at your time of life? Well, what do you mean? I'm, I'm 42. I'm not like 80. <laughs> <laughs> you moan more than my granddad, and he's nearly 87. <laughs> oh, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh, yes, we are changing what we are doing today a little bit for those people who uh, checked their feed on this particular Monday when the episode dropped, expecting our our look back at the Peter Davison story, uh, Castro Volva. That's been pushed back a week because we feel that we need to have a little discussion about the specials that we had in the, in the recent weeks. We had the 60th three-parter, I suppose. I mean, three separate stories, but three specials for the 60th. And then we had the Christmas special and the debut of a new Doctor, a new companion, and so on. Um, in true... Doctor Who pod style, however, us pushing Castrovalva back a week has caused us to not be able to release it on the 42nd anniversary of the first episode coming out. (laughs) (laughs) For fuck's sake. I know. January, well, it was the week of. January the 4th, 1982 was the first uh, airing of episode one of Castrovalva. So... Yeah, we could have released on the 42nd episode and looked really professional, really organised for a moment there, Dan, can we? But then people would get suspicious. Yeah. Yeah, so in true The Doctor Who pod fashion, we have fucked that up. But anyway... Uh, we do have some stuff from Twitter and Facebook and so on from our lovely, lovely listeners uh, who are giving their thoughts and opinions on the specials. But before we get to them, shall we have a little chat ourselves, Dan, about what we liked, what we disliked? Um, I, I think, I think we, we, we discussed beforehand, didn't we? It's just going to be a general overseeing of the whole thing, a, a general chat about the, all of them in, in one go, as opposed to breaking them down too individually or even ranking them and so on. Because I imagine we're going to do them at some point in the future on the show itself. Each episode, I imagine, will get its own dedicated podcast when we get round to them. But it, again, we're a Doctor Who podcast. It, it felt not right not passing our comments on these specials, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I suppose that there's... 
there's no better place to start than than at the beginning, you know, with the with the mm-hmm. star beast. Um, yep. It's it's a funny thing because whatever I'm going to say about the star beast, I'm going to be the vast majority. I'm going to be positive about, but it was still my least favorite of the four. Um, yeah, I think to be honest, despite the fact it was a lot of fun, um, first and foremost, uh, it was great to see Tenant back. That was like it was just one of the resounding things. Uh, to see Tenant back just just filled my heart with joy. Don't know about you. Oh yeah, totally, totally. And it, it makes me think as well. If if this wasn't if that's if this story was just an ordinary dot two episode, if it mm. wasn't Tenant and Donna Noble coming back for these specials, if it was just chucked in the middle of Whitaker's run, or was out of I don't know Sylvester McCoy's era or whatever, I don't think I rate it very highly at all. I think the big appeal for me, mm. first of all, it's exciting having Doctor Who back. So I'm watching, I'm watching these specials and this first one here. I'm very excited just because it's on my TV again, and I'm watching it with my wife yeah. and Charlie. And it's the first time Charlie sat down and watched a, a Doctor Who live as it airs because you know she's she not watched, she didn't watch any of the new Who when it first aired, some of it she weren't even born for, to be fair. But um, <laughs> this is the first one we've sat down and watched properly together. So that's a big deal. So it felt special from that aspect. And it's felt special because mm. Tennant was back. And it felt special because Catherine Tate was back. But that aside, if you if I really try to look at it as cold as I possibly can, taking any extra emotion away from the, the, the restart of the program and so on, mm. it wasn't brilliant, was it? Yeah, I suppose it could be classed as a bit middling. Um, but you say about taking the emotion out of it, it it's that's kind of a hard thing to do. Mm. Um, because it, it's it's so unique in the fact that it's a continuation of uh, of a doctor and a companion that, that we thought were done, you know, forever. So but yeah, I, I get your point. I'm try, sort of trying to think as if you were if you're gonna say, you know, this is your first episode of Doctor Who. Would it hook you in? Because you know we've talked about that quite a lot recently, haven't we? Um, having yes. done um, having done Rose and, and and all of that, so. But I think it, I think it would have done enough to keep people. Like I said, maybe not. It's maybe not blow away brilliant as um, you know something like you know a classic, you know modern classic like Blink or something like that. But there was a, there was a lot to like in it. The, the the Meep sort of twist. You could see coming a mile off. Yes, totally. Really, that that was quite telegraphed. But I like the uh, the bug warrior lads. I thought they were they they looked the right level of shit. <laughs> yes, spot on. <laughs> they did. Yes, <laughs> I think that's the nicest thing I can say about it. Um, but yeah, the, the, so the only problems I had with it were, well, I think we said I think we mentioned it before the uh, the bit of a cop out thing to to make sure that Donna didn't die. Yeah, that was bollocks. Yeah, it was. I know they had to find a way around it, and I appreciate that they did it. And I can kind of see what they're going for. That now that it's split between two minds, it's maybe easier to get rid of. Yeah, almost like a warp pain of it potentially. I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, maybe some. You know, maybe something along those lines. But at the same time, it did feel a bit like, oh, hmm. So if if it if it was all if Donna tried to release it all, it'd be like trying to it'd be like trying to fart and shitting yourself. 
<laughs> but since somebody was since uh, Rose was there to help her out, it was all right. Mm. Um, but a couple of things that I mean, I'm completely on board with you on that. The whole um, the way they got rid of this issue with Donna. I think it's an absolute cop out. I think it was lazy. I think it was bullshit. I, 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 I'm not a fan of that in the slightest. I think just try a bit harder. But at the same time, I appreciate these are only an hour long, and they've got Tennant and Tate back for three episodes. They want to get into the meat of it, knowing that in the last one, there has to be regeneration. So you only, yeah, you know, I suppose if you take away half of the last episode because you've got the regeneration coming, you take mm. away half of the start of this episode because it's everyone catching up at some point and, you know, you're going to lose time to the whole, Oh, how's he doing? Where's what, you know, where's um, your granddad and uh, all yeah, that. Yeah. Introdu- and then introducing new characters. These, these three specials boil down to effectively just an hour and a half hour and a quarter, I suppose, of actual real story time to tell away from those points that have to be covered in the big scheme of things mm. across the three specials. It's still a cop out, but I can appreciate, you know, they have to yeah, do yeah. something quick, don't they? Yeah, time constraints and all of that. So I can't be too mad at it. And at the end of the day, we get to we get a bit more Donna Noble and it ultimately builds to a happy ending for everybody. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Which is, is which is it's quite nice. And I think as well that the intent behind it is to usher in a bit of a new vibe to Doctor Who because since it came back with Eccleston and right throughout, it came it came in fresh from the, the sort of the trauma of the time war. And then it's been lurching from trauma to bullshit to trauma to bullshit. And it, it's going to be refreshing. And I think we've already seen that in the church on Ruby Road. It's refreshing to have a doctor who's let some of that go and is approaching his adventures with a genuine enthusiasm and excitement rather than running from it, running from something. Mm, yeah, okay. There, there, there is a, to me, there is a different, a bit of a different feel to it. With uh, with with the one episode we've seen of Shooter Gatwa, um, that may be down to how it was how it was written, how it, some of the other elements that were introduced that I know were that your change fearing old man brain didn't particularly like. Well, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, but I also know, think but... as well it's important to remember that it's difficult with Christmas specials, isn't it? And we've said so it many is. times here on the show that the majority of the Christmas specials are a bit wonky, and they've also got the Christmas. You know, it's the Christmas vibe and so on as well, and they're it's difficult to really kind of judge on that. I feel mm. um, I personally hope the new doctor isn't all smiles and happiness all the way through. I like the way no, the tenant no. was the way he was and then could just switch it into being quite dark. I liked the way that Peter Capaldi was quite grumpy, but then could switch it out to being silly, which made him, his silliness seem funnier because he was quite grumpy at times uh, and yeah. so on. I, you know, I, I hope that doesn't disappear altogether. Cause I think that's what makes, makes the character of the Doctor so so interesting, those different levels. Yeah. And it makes it more well-rounded as well. And I, th- I think we will see that. I think we'll see a bit more happy-go-lucky, but not in possibly the the forced way that happened in the Whitaker era, because a lot of it felt, a lot of the writing and, and direction felt geared towards making Jodie Whittaker, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, I should say, very much, oh, it's all right, it's all right, I've got it, it's fine, it's fine, yeah. it's fine. And whereas this one's going to, whereas with shoot, it's going to be, oh, I'm actually all right. But then when he does have, does have to go dark or go into those depths or, or something really dramatic and, and big happens, I, th- I think it's going to, we're going to feel the full effect. And a lot of it, again, boils down to it in Russell T. We trust. 
uh, quite frankly. Yeah. But um, yeah. just going back to um, to Starbeast quickly, I, I, will, I do have to say as well that Ruth Needley as Shirley Bingham I thought was fantastic. And I just I love all the gadgets in the wheelchair. Yes. <laughs> really, like, very Bond, wasn't it? Very, yes. Very, that's what very I'm James say. Bond, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of James Bond in there. And I do love the fact as well that Doctor Who's always been an inclusive show, as much as it could be in the various eras. You know, because obviously the, uh, the 60s, 70s, 80s were what they were. Um, uh, I love the fact that Russell T's involved. Um, I thought Yasmin Finney uh, put in a good performance as, as Rose Noble. But I like it even better that that this more sort of gammony side of uh, of society is annoyed at it. Because fuck you, this is Doctor Who. Doctor yeah. Who's for everybody. If you don't like the representation, don't fucking watch it. There you go. Yeah, I'm sure we'll do absolutely fine without <laughs> like, like you pig-headed ignorant bastards. Yeah. On the topic of uh, Rose Noble then, <sighs> there's something that happened in the episode that overall i'm glad it was in there mm. but at the time i didn't like it because it literally took me out of my little happy doctor who bubble almost like somebody just slapped me across the face it was that much of a jolting thing and that was when uh yasmin finney uh, rose noble was walking down the road with her mum and mm. some lads some lads were on push bikes and uh giving the the trans character of rose some shit and know. calling yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. And I, overall, the fact that it made me uncomfortable is exactly the point because yeah. that kind of behavior is is not acceptable in any walk of life. And to put a highlight, a spotlight on it in something as popular and uh, something with as many eyes on it as Doctor Who, I think is a fantastic thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, at the same time, it did make me feel a bit sad. But that's the point, isn't it? That's the point. If it makes you feel, if it makes you feel sad, and, and you, and the, the effectively facing the reality that that yes. happens, that that sort of thing happens, one, it means that you call you're a decent human being, but two, it gets it gets people thinking, or hopefully gets people thinking about their own actions and and how they treat people, and just let people live. <laughs> That's the main thing. <laughs> just let people live. Uh, we're not going to do a deep dive into this sort of thing because the last thing, the last sort of kind of people that should be having these conversations are two straight white blokes. <laughs> well, very true, very true. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, we're not an authority on the subject, but I'm, again, just glad that, um, that, that the diversity is there and we should be asking those, making people ask those questions of themselves. On that note, then, I suppose we can step across now to um, the Wild Blue Yonder. Oh, yes. Now, before we dive into the episode itself, there was a scene in this, which also caused some uproar and protesting, uh, well, not protesting, but people online and, and so on, saying, well, that's daft and so on. Um, the, the person who we're led to believe is Isaac Newton. It's never actually confirmed, but we're led to believe it's Isaac Newton. He's cast as Isaac Newton when you look it up, but it's never actually stated yeah, yeah. on the show. Uh, is played by a non-white actor, a, a man of colour. Um, this caused some people to moan and whinge a little bit about this. Yeah, the gammons again. But I see, from my standpoint, it didn't bother me, but I can see both sides of the coin. So... 
in, the, in, the, in, in Doctor Who, it's a program about a mad alien in a blue box. It's it's a bit of fun. There's you know, there's aliens going off everywhere. There's all sorts of things happening. Does it? I think anybody who's sort of been up in arms and, and complaining to Ofcom and all of that shit just needs to get a life and has mm. too much time on their hands. There will always be the historical accuracy argument. Okay. Well, that's kind of where I come from, really. And again, I'm I'm not somebody who's complaining or yeah, you know, but but. My my the point I'm trying to make without making myself sound like an asshole because that's not my my mindset at yeah. all. My my point is that if this was reversed and we had the character of Rosa Parks played by a white woman, that wouldn't be acceptable. So that's my one it, the one thing I read online. I was a bit like, okay, well, I can kind of understand where they're coming from from that point, but on the other side of the coin. I was thinking, does it really fucking matter that much? This is supposed to be fun. Do you know what I mean? I, I can understand. I, I'm not saying I agree with them. I was yeah. trying to find the words properly. I, I can understand where people are coming from. I can understand the points they're trying to make and why they're trying to make them with regards mm. to historical accuracy. I can completely get on board with that. I'm not saying it matters, though. I can understand the point they're trying to make, but I'm trying to say that it's not that big of a deal to make an issue of, I guess. Well, it's it's 30 seconds in the opening scene of Doctor Who. Yeah, there you go. A lot of the same arguments were thrown out when um, in, in a series called uh, Berlin, about Anne Boleyn. Okay. Um, and the cast, a black lady for Anne Boleyn. Um, it didn't, bother me because I, because I had no inclination to watch it. I'm not bothered about historical period dramas, whatever. And I don't know, it always feels like the histor- you know, the historical accuracy argument is a, a gateway into sort of it's sort of like worms your way into 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 more sinister into into more sinister means. I'm not saying that's what you yeah. did, obviously. I just mean, no, no, that, I mean that's, that's how like- that, that's how it starts and then and then spirals yeah. into full-blown rampant racism because but you're spot on the money with that you're spot on my my mindset is very much i get annoyed when i watch film adaptations of things and they're not historically accurate right because that's because i i'm i'm not a history buff or anything like that at all but there are certain things in 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 life or in in the past that I've taken a great interest in certain things that I've read up upon myself and so on. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example now off the top of my head. Oh, I'll be honest okay. with you, if, I could, if, if I can just cut across you, which I, I, know, I know it's probably maybe not history, but if we're talking about accuracy in terms of where somebody is purported to be from and the sort of the ethnicity of the region, shall we say, than every single television program or movie that has ever portrayed Jesus as a white man. Oh yeah, totally. Should be reported to Ofcom. That's that's where the argument yeah, falls down. Yes, it, of course. You know, <laughs> but I mean, this that, is the thing. Like, the uh, again, my mindset, my mindset isn't necessarily how can I word this, a race or a color thing. My mindset hmm. is the historical accuracy thing. For example, yeah. there was um, uh, a, a Jack the Ripper movie I watched. Uh, no, I'll tell you what, better example, there was a show about the Zodiac Killer. 
right? I watched that show. I've done a great deal of reading about the Zodiac Killer myself. I've, I've, you know, I won't dive too much into it, but I spent a big portion of a, a couple of years ago looking into this sort of thing. Well, more than a couple of years ago, probably the best part of a decade ago now. But anyway, there was massive mm-hmm. historical inaccuracies, and mm-hmm. that annoyed me. Now, if they turned around and said that the Zodiac Killer was a black guy, yeah, that would frustrate me as well. I didn't think they ever called the Zodiac Killer. No, 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 they didn't, but it's widely thought that the guy was a white man and from the descriptions of the people. Well, there we go. But anyway, if they turned around (laughs) and said, okay, these these crimes happened in this city and not this city, that's what I have the issue with, that it's in a a race thing, you know? Yeah, I get what you're saying. And, and, and if that's, for me, when that's a genuine concern or, or, a, or a genuine sort of brain worm that gets in, you know, and then niggles at you, then mm. fine. But for me, it's when people dis- use that argument to then oh, to then go on to, to further race. And quite frankly, I said this to someone yesterday. I one I thought Nathaniel Curtis did a very good job as Isaac Newton in, in you know what limited time he had, um, and two I actually liked the the, the casting because I knew it it really piss off racists. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. See again for to me, be quite honest. it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's. I suppose the Rosa Parks example was completely. It's 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 the wrong example to make because she was a big prominent part of the whole episode. And this historical figure from which the whole episode was based around. However, the Isaac Newton stuff, like you said, was a was a throwaway thing at the very beginning of the episode. So it's not it's not a big deal. The inaccuracy is where a, a potential problem could arise for me. But at the same time, it's not like <laughs> it's not like I've watched a film and the whole thing has been inaccurate and it would bother me. This is a throwaway mm-hmm. thing at the start. So okay, yes, there's an inaccuracy there. But I'm well, the point I'm trying to make is it's yes, okay. It can be described as historically inaccurate, but it's not that big of a deal. Why do people get up in arms about it? Yeah, and I can understand. I think we probably spent too long on too long on it. To well, be yeah, honest. fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm struggling to find the words. That was all. I, mean, I can understand I the point it, people are trying to make. I think that's what it boils down to. Yeah. I can understand the point people are trying to make, but at the same time, it's like, is there that little going on with you that it bothers you that much to call? To, 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 do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's just sad twats being leading sad twat little lives. Yes, indeed, indeed. Anyway, but the rest my of the episode, episode. <laughs> my arms are too long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's something that's too long. <laughs> hey, <laughs> um, straight away, I love this. Yeah, uh, this was the um, second favorite for me. Maybe, okay. maybe joint second. Uh, but I'm a big horror fan. You know that. I've said it on the podcast yes, so many yep. times. This had some incredible stuff on it. It was it was a little bit brain-twisting when you had the two Doctors and the two Donners, and you couldn't quite tell which was happening at what time. Mm-hmm. And then that when that penny dropped, when there'd actually, there's two of each in separate rooms at the same time. Ooh, that was good. And they're in space, and it's, it's right at the end of the universe. The light hasn't got to them yet, and it's, oh... There's so much about it that when you think long enough, is absolutely terrifying. Yes, it, it was fantastic. Uh, my my first thing because obviously this is the second special, so we yeah. watched the first one. And what tends to happen is Charlie will then go back upstairs to her room, get on her phone, and start messaging her mates and all sorts. And then I were away from Charlie because I don't ever want to dampen her enthusiasm. If there's anything that I've mm. not enjoyed, I turn to Sharon and go, "What do you think?" 
Yeah. Now, when this one finished, the same thing happened. Sharon turned to me and said, what do you think? Knowing that I was a little bit, I wouldn't say deflated or, or disappointed with the first special. Mm. I enjoyed it, but I think I I was waiting for it to kick off, if that makes sense. I was waiting for it to really go up, yeah. go up a gear. And I felt that this story here is almost where the first story went up a gear. It just took an extra week to get there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. This took it into this took it into another level. This was this was creepy. The pacing of it was was superb. Yes. It brought you down at the right time. It took you back up. I was on edge for the whole thing. And it, and again, we had like some bits of appropriately ropey CGI. Especially, you know, when it was like giant Donner and giant David. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, wedged together because these beings have no concept of size. Um, but when you mentioned the arms, they were practical effects. I saw on Unleashed. Oh, okay, I've not seen Unleashed yet. Yeah, so the giant David Tennant arms—they're actual, they're actual models that he's put his arms into and he's holding onto with like metal bars inside them. And Donna's Don, Donna's funny leg with two knees in it. That's right. that's that's an actual thing. But and the teeth. We, you know, when they were doing the whole monster thing, that's that was practical effect. It looked brilliant. Fantastic. It, it, I think this, the, again, the when I said before about the the warriors looking in the in the star base, looking the the right level of crap. Yes, the spaceship was a little bit too polished for me. That was a bit too like Star Wars level. Oh, okay, it, it looked a bit too good at that, which is a really weird complaint. I suppose it's not a complaint. It, it, it's a nitpick. Um, because ultimately it did look great, and I, I loved them getting separated as the whole ship's moving around in this very slow sequence. And then they're in the corridor. It felt very um, alien. Yes. Uh, have you seen it? I have. Yes, I've seen a movie and, from the 70s. <laughs> and I've, I've seen plenty of movies from the 70s. Um, <laughs> just nothing modern day. <laughs> yeah, but it felt very alien, you know, claustrophobic um, mm-hmm. and the different colour schemes. Um but one thing that because I'm 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 a bugger for a good speech in the, these things, and it was when Tennant and the fake Donna were talking, and he was he was and she was saying about the flux and all of that, and and and, and not shying away from it, which I quite liked, and he's just about to break down, and then she turns into a puddle in the floor, yeah, and he, he has to run off, and he has that moment where he's. He's pissed off that he got fooled and he's banging against the wall and he just screams and, and just starts letting all of that bloody rage and, and pain out. What a moment that was. And, yeah, and obviously the speeches leading up to it, it was there was just so much good in this. And, and giving giving Catherine Tate and, and David Tennant the chance to flex their acting chops and have basically two versions of themselves, you know, the evil or immoral version and, and the Doctor and Donna. Oh, there was there was very little in this that I didn't like. Mm, yeah, the conclusion as well I thought was incredibly clever because obviously we saw that robot, didn't we, early on? Yeah, down the long, 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 long corridor, and mm. you knew straight away just by the way that Doctor Who works, and especially good Doctor Who, and it's well written like this. You knew that was going to come back for some reason at the end. That's not yeah. just there for a random thing. That's going to have some reference or, or some part to play. The way it came back around and the way that the previous um, commander, pilot of, of, the, of where mm. they are had set things up to get rid of the the two evil beings 
but playing the long game so he didn't get detected is bloody slow, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic concept and, and just so, so clever. Uh, but it, oh, I said I said before actually about it looking a bit Star Wars. Uh, the set designer for Wild Blue Yonder uh, did actually work on Star Wars. <laughs> I just remember oh, okay. that from Unleashed as well. Um, and they, they oh, even right. went into the, the they took a deep dive in and like created these like runes and whatnot symbols for for the language to make it look more um, you know more authentic and, and bits and pieces like that. So yeah, it was brilliant and. We got a payoff in Wild Blue Yonder for something that was set up in uh, in the Star Beast as well, because we mentioned him before. Yes. Uh, there was multiple mentions of Bernard Cribbins, and we all knew that he'd managed to complete at least one scene. And I've been saying it for weeks and months on the Doctor Who pod. When he's there, when the TARDIS demon, uh, when the TARDIS, TARDIS comes back, he's there in his wheelchair. He's got his flask, like Donna said he would. Oh, I, I cried. It was it was such. I a was so moment. happy to see him again, and again, it's it's a happy ending for everybody, and it's a happy ending for Wilf, and it was effectively every Doctor Who fan's granddad. Mm. I think like, what I liked <laughs> as well is that we got Tennant being able to give that massive beaming grin that he gives in certain moments, yeah, and and the sort of you know the hello soldier and all that sort of stuff, and oh, hello, I, I love it. It, it. It was just done. You couldn't ask for it to be done any better, could you? It was just done perfectly for those characters and their interactions. And their history as well. Mm. When, and the amazing thing is Bernard Cribbins is in one scene and he acts circles around everybody else. In, in Everybody else in the, in the fall specials for my money. He just stole okay. it. Because it. When Donna comes out, you just see in his face, and he can't even do much body language because he's sat down. Mm-hmm. He's obviously in, in his wheelchair, but just his face and his hand movements and the way he reaches out to her. And Ollie says something like, oh, Donna, and, you know, gives her a big hug. And then Tennant comes out and he sees him and the you see everything in his face, every emotion that would run through your head. Shock, joy, disbelief, just sheer awe at seeing that face again. And even so, you know, he says, I never thought I'd see that face again. And, and they've just been talking about how rough David Tennant's feeling. He just looks at Wilf and says, now I feel better. Yeah. Yeah. It was so- I'm getting sure that we're talking about it, to be honest. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I, watched the, I watched that scene, that little scene, and I rewound it about four or five times. Yeah. Just to watch it again and again. Yeah. Fantastic. It, it, just, it made me so happy. But yeah, Bernard Cribbins, even at that age and as ill as he was, just amazing ability to convey all those emotions and then to set up the the next big bad. Um, oh, we what didn't talk as well. Uh, sorry, before we get to that, what did you think about Donna um, and the uh, the blatantly obvious coffee spill in Star Beast? That was bollocks. <laughs> and also, and another thing that I forgot that annoyed me uh, in the Star Beast, the uh, the meep was using the uh, the the um, the dagger drive or whatever it was to like dig into the earth's car and get the energy and uh, to yeah. shoot off. Um, why did the cracks in the earth just heal up when the dagger drive stopped? I've got no answers for you. It's not, it's not like skin. It doesn't, you know, blood doesn't just clot and then new skin's created over it. 
Again, they're just nitpicks because there was a lot to like in the Star Beast. Um, yeah, but the coffee spill was was shit, wasn't it? It was badly done, badly acted, badly set up. It was up. so it was telegraphed. Like, it was crap. Yeah. <laughs> it was. But, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I, I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. She's, yeah, this is just obvious where it's going, but... Yeah. Um, before we get into the uh, into the toy maker, what did you think to the new TARDIS interior? Loved it. Yeah, me too. Loved it. I mean, for me, I remember the TARDIS being white. Yeah, and everything being kind of not clean, but a very sci-fi setting, isn't it? It's white with the white circle things on the walls and the um the control board column in the middle and so on yeah. it look it the tardis in doctor who in classic who always looked a certain way even though they updated the set and they changed things around barring when mm. tom baker had that uh, funny wooden one for a little bit which is kind of nice as well they mm. they always had a general theme so this the tardis interior changing all the time is a very new who thing and mm. Again, you're going to mock me because I don't like change. There are certain moments where I really don't like it. But yeah. Tenant's TARDIS, Tenant's TARDIS, uh, from Eccleston going into Tenant, that I quite liked because it was, it, it wasn't like the original, but mm. at the same time, it was kind of kooky and a little bit off and funny. Still had, the, still had the round things. Yeah, exactly. So that, that made sense to me. That, that was okay. Mm. Um, some of the later editions, I was a bit like, okay, that's that's all right, fair enough. And in my head, I always go back to uh, a business standpoint, and I'm thinking, Christmas presents, merchandise, a new TARDIS yeah. set. Doesn't matter if you've got the old one, the kids are going to want the new one, and so on. So I can understand where it comes from. Jodie Whittaker's TARDIS was bullshit. That was bollocks. That was, that was absolute <laughs> fucking nonsense. Got, yeah, all those crystals and all that weirdness going on. Yeah, that was shite. But this, this is like... If you took everything I loved about the old classic Who TARDIS interior mm. and then did that thing where you just cranked it up and made it much bigger, like the TARDIS interiors are on New Who, like Capaldi had yeah. like the balcony and stuff, didn't he? It's almost like crossing the two. So for me, mm. I, I thought I thought it looked I thought it looked wonderful. What about yourself? Yeah. Oh, I'm very much the same. It, it, it's I've I've mocked things before for feeling like designed by a committee where a bunch of um, like marketing or design type people who have no who have no connection to to the show or the product have sat around and gone, what does X look like in twenty twenty three? You know, something like that, and they, and they just churn out soulless bullshit. Yeah, uh, this is definitely not that. This feels like it's been designed by people who, who who love the show. We've we've gone back to the white and very sort of clean looking thing. We've still got the round things on the wall, but it's sort of modern space age enough to look at to look technically advanced mm. it's, it's it's a it's like it's a classic card it's brought into the future well brought, yeah. brought into the present the sorry brought into the present vision of the future and i just look it makes so much sense as well that it's just got these swirling um well ramps effectively mm-hmm. to get to different levels and then you can see you can actually see doors coming off the tardis now yeah which I wonder if that's what we're going to get more of. Um, as, as we mentioned at the start of the show, we're, we were originally in our schedule going to be covering Castro Valva today. We're doing that next week. But something that happens in Castro Valva and, and in Davidson's era of Who a lot is we get to see other rooms in the TARDIS. Mm. So we get to see 
um, Tegan's bedroom, Nissa's bedroom, Adric's bedroom, and all this sort of stuff. I wonder if we're going to see more of the interior of the TARDIS now, that we've actually got physical doors that we can see to go off from. I kind of, in a way, hope we do. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so too. I, I like anything like that. I remember, um, I think it was a, there was a Matt Smith story that was a journey to the centre of the TARDIS. Um, and that was very interesting seeing him move through to get to the, the Eye of Harmony because there was something wrong with the TARDIS. I think that was it anyway. I can't remember the exact mm. sort of ins and outs of it. Or was, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Matt Smith. Because um, it was with um, it was with Clara as a companion as well, so you'll like ah, it. Clara. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to quick mention the TARDIS interior before we get on to uh, before we get on to the giggle. Uh, jumping ahead a little bit very quickly as well. I love the jukebox that we see at the end as well. By the way, yes, anything like, anything like vintage and oh, I, I love a jukebox anyway. Like you know, I, it's I just so feel much like more. We're gonna have, a lot of music in this series. It's going to be yeah. very music focused. I mean, again, jumping ahead a little bit, we see, you know, the doctors uh, dancing in the nightclub when he meets Ruby. As yeah. he looks, he's, he's trying to get close to her and all of that. Um, and, and we have the musical aspect of church and Ruby road as well. I, I, I'm hoping we're going to get a banging soundtrack. <laughs> we'll get into that in a moment because before we do, we need to get onto a tenant departing, I suppose. And the final of the 60th special 60th anniversary specials, sorry, the giggle. Now this, this splits my opinion hugely. And there's a chance I'm going to contradict myself. Absolutely. You know, 101 times going over and over and over again. So first of all, I want to say I really enjoyed this. Okay, yep, I enjoyed too. it. This was good. Secondly, I want to say the first half of this episode was fucking incredible. This was everything I love about Doctor Who. Um, a, a real, really charismatic, fantastic villain. The Doctor and his companion in peril, not really knowing what's going on. It's creepy, it's scary. So much of the first half of this was it's exactly what Who should be. You know, from classic and new. It's exactly what I envisioned Doctor Who being. Then we get to the stuff on the rooftop. But we'll get to that um, in a moment. What were your overall thoughts? Yes, indeed. What were your overall thoughts, Dan? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Neil Patrick Harris, fantastic. Yes. As, uh, as the toy maker. And just bringing back the toy maker after so many years. And they actually spliced in Michael Goff as well. Yeah, that was brilliant. Um I've seen a lot of people complain about uh, Neil Patrick Harris's uh, changing accents. Oh, no, I love that. Yeah, I did. But, but it was done to portray the time maker as just a bit of a dick. Mm-hmm. Because, again, he is overtly racist um, in this episode. Okay. Well, when, when the fella's buying, the, uh, buying Stooky Bill off him, Oh yes, of course, yes. Yeah, and and, and it's basically saying that this this being this entity, the toy maker, even though he's he's supposed to be and presents himself as being above and beyond sort of all human time lord understanding, he's still just a racist prick. Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah, I think Russell T definitely didn't shy away from that one and and, and wrote it intentionally that way, but as well. It, Again, it, it should make you feel uncomfortable. You should be wanting this, wanting a villain to get his ass kicked while being afraid of him. Mm-hmm. And I think the the road that line perfectly. 
Um, just, I, there's so much I want to get into now that I mentioned Stooky Bill and the stuff with John Logie Baird and the television. Um, and one thing I loved was the drop of the the family of doll uh, puppets. Yeah, creatures. And then the puppets, then the puppets reappear when the Doctor and Donna are in the Toymaker's realm and they're going through all those doors. Mm. Again, watching Doctor Who Unleashed, that was pra- the the puppets moving was practical effect. Why? They had a team of puppeteers with that tiny little uh, Stooky Sue puppet. One person moving one leg, one person moving another, one, do- one person doing each arm, and one person doing the head and the mouth. And and the, the the babies as well when they come down that's all practical. It's so good, and that's why it looks it's so yeah, creepy. That's why it looks so amazing. Yeah, but puppets are creepy. Yeah, oh yeah, they are. They are bad. Day. There's a doll the- in this room. I, I can see it where I'm sat right now. <laughs> There's a doll in this room, and it sits up, and it's one of those where if you light it back, it's always shut. If you sit it up, it's always open. So it's just yeah. got this kind of blank stare. Okay, and mm. me and Liv, my middle <laughs> my middle daughter, effectively are playing a long term game where I will sneak into her bedroom and I will put it on her bedside table. So when she wakes up, it's just sat there staring at her. But then today, <laughs> today I've got up, I've come up here to record. I'll start looking across the room now and it's sat on my wife's shelf staring at me as I'm recording. So she's brought it back in here and put it somewhere else. It's like a long, Good yeah, nice. so I, I get you. They're creepy as fat man. But anyway. Yeah, um, the, yeah every, every, all the creepy stuff was brilliant. Um, I have no connection to the character because I don't think we've covered a story that features her. Uh, were you happy to see Mel Bush? Um, that was the, that was going to be the next thing I brought up. To be to be honest, it's a funny one because I feel every other companion that's come back, um, whether it was Ace or Tegan or whatever, even Sarah Jane back in Tenants era, mm. there's been a little bit more of a fanfare about it, a little bit more of a, oh, fantastic. With this, it was a case of oh shit. Everything's kicking off. The toy maker is making people go mad. Um, we all go into this massive place, you know, this new unit tower. Um, oh, there's you know the brigadier's daughter. Fantastic seeing her again. And there's loads of other people in you. Oh, there's the lady in the wheelchair again. Fantastic. I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks. Awesome. Oh, and there's Mel too. Hi, Mel. Hi, Doctor. And then they move on. That's kind of how it felt. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't any. There wasn't any massive reunion, was there? But then I suppose there wouldn't be because it is. It is all down to business and and. They didn't want to put too much shine on Mel because then it takes away from from the real focus, which is the toy maker. Yeah, and, and the thing with Mel is as well. Uh, when I what I remember, Mel was just I think ever so slightly before my time as a, as a fan watching it as a mm. kid. Um, well, no, probably no. I remember watching stories with her in it, but. I mean, that was, she was in the trail end of Colin Baker's time and the beginning of Celeste McCoy's time. Right. So we're talking about me being six or seven years of age. Right. So when I, when, by the time Doctor Who finished and Ace was the companion, mm. I was nine, 10 years of age then. So my memories are a lot more stronger for Ace and so on. That's where I get the nostalgia factor for. So I don't yeah, get that yeah. same nostalgia kick from looking at Mel's character and her stories and not something I've gone back and revisited a great deal either. So it's not like right. I've got the same same um, the same connection, I suppose, with Sarah Jane from the seventies, or with uh, Tegan and so on f- from the eighties. I- I've not got that same connection with the male character because I've never 
the connection with Ace is because I watched her when I was a kid. Yeah. Not so much rewatching it now. Because as much as it breaks my heart to say, a lot of McCoy's stories we watch back and I think, that's a bit, wo- bit wobbly, that. But mm. I then got the nostalgia factor and the connection with the older companions because I watched them a great deal and I've always gone back and watched those stories. Mal kind of sits in the middle. She's not late 80s enough for me to have watched it at the time, yeah. but she's not classic enough or in enough good stories for me to have gone back and rewatched a lot. Mm. The biggest thing that Mel that stands out in my mind is the screaming right now in the eight, she was a big screamer and a lot of doctor who companions obviously were, were there to scream at the aliens and the doctor can come in and save the day and so on. But my God, did she scream? And the reason that stands <laughs> out in my mind, the reason that stands out in my mind is I can picture the scene. Now I'm sat in the front room, of my parents' house on the old brown sofa with a wooden front on it. And so on. It was very seventies, even though this is the eighties and you know, the, the rooms, it, my parents room was what it was and my mum bought in my dinner on a tray for me to eat in front of dr who mm. and i can remember my mum with her big curly mop of hair and all this sort of stuff because you know perms were in back then i can remember my mum going my god that woman needs to shut up because mel was just <laughs> screaming her head off i can't tell you what story it was or what scene it was i just remember my mum saying that about her and it's one of those things where as a young kid that's stuck in my mind so that's always my go-to with mel really but mm, I love the nostalgia factor. I love the I love the throwbacks to classic who, regardless of who it is. But I've not got yeah. that kind of connection with Mel as I have with other companions, I suppose. Yeah. See, that's why I asked you because my my entire thing is, oh, Mel's back, old companion, neat. Moving on. Yeah. That is kind of what mine was, to be fair. That is kind of what mine was. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she was there, I think, as well. And and obviously she played a good part. It makes so much sense to have these former companions in with unit. Yes, it does. And, and anybody who's ever met the Doctor or, or had an encounter or, or travelled even once or twice, uh, don't bring Adam back, though, from the Eccleston era. We don't need him. Um, no. Well, I'm glad Adric's uh, dead. Yeah. But the, one, of the, <laughs> one of the best things, it's one of the, for, for me, one of the highlights of the episode amidst all the creepy crap is the, uh, the spice up your life sequence. Oh, my God, I love this. I love this so much. <laughs> this is just the right amount of silly yes. in a scary uh, uh, that's the thing it's it's in a quite edgy quite not, not scary is not the right word but there's a lot of you're on the edge of the seat in this scene aren't you because of, because of what's happening and so then you get that silliness that. thrown in it's perfect i can explain that what you're feeling there is you are watching a being demonstrate such insane power over re- effectively reality turning soldiers into stacks of balls but so that still somehow has a face inside and is therefore some form of sentient and then just popping out through doors everywhere and playing a 90s pop song and do you know taking um, taking Gemma Redgrave Kate Stewart for you know for a, for a tango down there and just spinning her into one and doing the same to Bonnie Lamper oh. that Mel it, and then just doing snow angels in rose petals that, that used to be bullets you're watching immense power being used to be daft, but also intimidating. Yeah. That, it, it, it's such, it works on just so many different levels. It is one of the best things. It's a bit like um, the master uh, in the sound of drums. And yes. play, was it, I can't remember what the song was all about. Baby, baby, baby. And he's dancing around. Yeah. 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 
he's dancing around with, and he's pushing the and oh, when he had the when he had the doctor pushing the doctor around in a wheelchair, and uh, it's uh, I can't decide whether you should live or die. Mm-hmm. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, I thought it was so good because you yeah. know as well with all that silliness and with all that well, well comedy, I guess. Mm-hmm. At any moment, it's going to turn. At any yeah. moment, this is going to change. And, oh, it was it was fantastic. I love that. Because so this is after the um, this is after the puppet show. Yes, when he's shown Donna what's happened since she's left, and he's well, talking that's all about right, what, then. <laughs> yeah, and he's just saying you know, <laughs> saying, you know he, he left Donna, and then he then he met Amy Pond, and she died. It's like she lived a full life in you know New York, and uh, well, that's all right then. <laughs> but it's <laughs> was that a good impression? <laughs> And that is that was good. That was good, and it, I love that as well because it's again, it's this guy, this this character who is incredibly evil, wiping out you know people playing his games, uh, you know mass murders, whatever is nothing to him. It, it, it's it's yeah. nothing at all, and yet you've got all that in front of you, but with this kind of jovial comedy aspect, but also at the same time pointing out. In a similar way to how we saw, um, was it in like I was in Tenant's era or Matt Smith's era? Journey, like had- um, Journey's End, that two part we covered with Chris Lewis, um, when uh, Davros is showing the doctor how he crafts people into weapons, it's making the doctor, yes, face up to the reality of his actions. And, and no matter how he justifies what happened to his companions, mm-hmm. they, they died, yeah. You know, the only, the only one they don't mention. Oh, no, no, that's sensible, actually. The, the one they don't mention is River Song, but that's because that happened in Tennant's first run when she uh, consciousness lived on in the um, in the library. Right. But yeah, looking at this season, aren't we? Um, we are, yes. Yeah, that, that'll be our finale. Yeah. Um, that two-parter. But yeah, I love that, you know, facing up to what happened to, to Amy, to Clara, uh, to Clara. It kind of confuses me that he knows what, that he's sort of roughly aware of what happened to Clara. Because uh-huh. I thought he erased his memory, or did he just erase his memory of what she looked like? Because he still remembers who she was. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back. And I mean, if anything, her. I'd have to go back. If anything, yeah. when it comes to Clara and erasing memories, erasing what she looks like is the wrong way to go about it. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> That's the memory you want to try and see. old man. <laughs> Harold! Um, we... <laughs> it's a good job we've got an audience of a certain age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, all of this, uh, you know, the splishy and the sploshy. I, I loved it all. It was fantastic. All of it was so, so good. It was, it was, it was absolutely fantastic. In fact, I'm going to get some of the audio of that, and I'm going to cut that into our uh, entrance beginning theme music intro music as well to go along well, with the that's all right then yeah there we go that's what we'll have and um <laughs> then we get to the scene on the roof now should we just get to it yeah okay by, ge- by, gener- by generation no nope, what do you think me. not it, for me fears change i i'm still dubious but more because of the the timeline concerns that it creates mm-hmm. yeah we've, we've discussed these messages uh, off air the bad generation, it's not the first time Russell T. Davis has come in and fucked about with regeneration. It's, it's just not, you know, we had the Time Lord meta crisis and growing a Time Lord from a hand. 
mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Um, or, you know, David Tennant growing his hand, as we saw in the Christmas special we covered. This whole bad generation thing is, on one hand, it's fine because it gives us a chance to have the new Doctor introduced and, and we get a great thing of effectively passing the torch and having to have two Doctors to eliminate the, the great big bad that, that is the, the toy maker. But at the same time, I'm just like, oh, God. But Shooty's come along and, and seems to have memories because he says later on that the Time Lords are doing therapy out of order. And he's fine because David Tennant fixes himself. Which then surely means that at some point David is going to regenerate fully into Shooty Gap. But then does that mean that there's going to be another Shooty rocking around there that somehow gets plucked out from a story, you know, from an adventure or just plucked from the TARDIS and then appears on that rooftop? Or has he... It, the whole timeline thing just, just blows my mind because I know Russell T yeah. said in interviews that in his mind, the bad generation thing, it, it's now that Tennant just goes off and has a happy life. And it's he's not made it clear whether Tennant is still a Time Lord and he will regenerate again. Or, or if he can, or, or maybe, you know, maybe I've seen a fan theory of maybe this, that version of Tennant then goes off and becomes... That goes back to Tom Baker's face and becomes the curator. Yeah, that would work. That would I work. Quite like, yeah, I quite like that thing for me. Yeah, I do as well. That's the big thing for me. Is okay. I, I'm very much a. Uh, I don't know what the word would be. Traditionalist, maybe. I like the. I mean, no. The show is. Too, thank you very much. This show is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this show is 60 years old, and it. Uh, I know it's a sci-fi program. And rules are there to be bent and broken and so on. But there is a general theme that runs through the whole six decades of this show as to how things work. But again, I appreciate that they can be played with and messed about with, and I've got no issues with that. Yeah. As long as it then ends up making sense and it's worth doing for, for something in the future. You know, for example, the whole two tenant thing made sense because he's not human, he's gone off with Rose uh, and, and, and so on. I'm okay yeah. with that. Um, the Doctor, as you know, a Time Lord has a certain number of regenerations. When we approached that number, people were saying online, "Well, how are they going to work this out?" Because he hasn't got that many regenerations left. I mean, Colin Baker was one of the spoke about it in in Classic Who in his time as the Doctor that he's only got X mm. and named how many regenerations you had. The way they got around that with the Time Lords giving him another uh, another regeneration cycle and, and and all that that made sense. Again, they're breaking the rules, but it made sense inside mm. the sort of parameters of the show, I suppose. This, the and obviously we get stuff like the Five Doctors, where the, where four of the Five Doctors meet each other and all that sort of stuff. Again, that's sort of playing around with certain timelines and, and and stuff as well. But this just feels different to me. This feels like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe at the end of um, Shooty's run, something dramatic is going to happen to force him to regenerate. He's going to struggle. Tenant appears and they both sort of merge back into each other to regenerate. And I, I don't know. Perhaps they're going to, I, I just, that, that's just bollocks I just made up. But in my head, maybe there's a reason for it that we're going to come back to in years' time or, or future series that will make it make sense. Mm. But at the moment, I'm not a big fan of that. That's understandable, I think. And this is where something comes in that 
I know a lot of people malign the Chin Malirian, and there's a lot about it to malign, uh, particularly the way it doesn't resolve anything. I, I recently rewatched The Flux, and a lot of the individual ele- elements and episodes, brilliant, really good, really entertaining, but you're left with so many questions by the end of it that just have never been resolved. Uh-huh. But one thing I think that was necessary that he did is the timeless child storyline. Making, effectively making the Doctor the origin of the Time Lords and therefore having effectively unlimited regenerations. Mm-hmm, yeah. Because with that, you can't then have... You basically, effectively, you, you've nicked the problem in the bud. The yeah. Doctor can just continue. Um, which is all well and good with the bad generation thing. It it made me feel the same way that the, the Dyad thing did in the most recent Star Wars film. Never said it. Um, Shock, um, because the, you know two, the two of the main characters from the from the trilogy, uh, Ray and Kylo Ren. It turns out they are something called a dyad in the Force, which, as a casual sort of Star Wars fan, you know, I, I go out of my way to watch some of the Disney Plus stuff, but I'm not one who reads into the the terms and terms of you know of, of, of books and, and all the rest of it that goes on. And it's, it's like they just shoehorn this thing in to have a cool set piece at the end. Mm. Um, I'm not, but again, I'm not overly, I'm not particularly against it. It was just a bit odd, um, and it was a bit of a, it was a bit of an emotional cocktease because I've been, I've been gearing up for this big, sad second farewell to Tenon. Yes, and then it was just like, oh, uh, yeah. I, f- I feel that we didn't get the proper. I know at the end of the story he sat in the garden having dinner with the family and all that sort of stuff. And the TARDIS is there and, and he's happy and he can relax and he can have a relaxing life and all that. I, yeah. I get all that, but I still feel like because tenants doctor is out there. We've, I suppose the word I'm looking for really is closure. We've not had mm. the proper closure because he's still there. But we, but we kind of have because he's had a, he's, he's outright said tenants doctor has outright said, this is the happiest he's ever been. And he's, he's just happy with his family. It, it does leave scope for him to come back. That's the other thing, or for spin Yeah. You know, from a commercial standpoint, you know, with, with the Disney money rolling in now. Well, unit, um, I suppose. Oh, unit, yeah. If they do a unit, yeah, it could be in that, uh, you know. There's... And money talks end of the day, doesn't it? And yeah, if Disney, are plowing, if Disney are plowing all this money into it, and Disney turn around and say, well, we want David Tennant, and they say to David Tennant, here's a big fat contract, my dude, they're not going to say no, are they? No, of course not. Of course not. And it'd be a lot of fun, you know. But, hey, who knows? We might even get that um, that Clara uh, spin-off because she's oh. rocking around in a TARDIS with um, with Maisie Williams out of Game of Thrones, isn't she? I would watch that show over, and if it was on videotape, it'd be worn out. <laughs> <laughs> Much like your you, shriveled eh? testicles by the end of episode one. <laughs> Oh, Clara. Anyway, we have one more to briefly touch upon, unless you have anything else to cover on, on this one here. No, because like I said, we're going to take deep dives into this, and this is already uh, already running longer than we intended. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, the Christmas special, and the new yeah. Doctor, the new companion. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I love bringing in Davina McCall, because she's been running a, an ancestry show on the BBC for a little while, apparently. So okay. to splice that's just a, to splice in a bit of real life, I thought it was a great idea. First of all, 
Um, uh, Ruby, Ruby Sunday, great name, first off. Yeah. Very Doctor Who name. I thought she put in a great performance as well. She already um, feels like a companion, doesn't she? Like There's, there's, there's yeah. certain companions that work and certain companions that don't. And to me, she feels like a Doctor Who companion already. Yeah, come into it straight away. And, and Shooty Gatwa is the Doctor. Just he's, he's already so good. Mm-hmm. He's so charismatic and, and so much fun. But the bit that I was talking to, um, to Gary, who's been on the, who's been on the show uh, before, it's the bit when he's running along the rooftops, but having a conversation at the same time and yes. hurling chimneys and all sorts. <laughs> that is so Doctor Who. Yeah, it, it is. It just feels so right. And, and the, the, the Mavity gloves and, and, and all that. It's, it, was, it was the right kind of filly for a Christmas special. That, I'll tell you what, you're spot on the money there. I was struggling to find the words earlier on. I said Christmas specials can sometimes it can sometimes be a bit wonky. They, they're not; it's difficult to judge from. But here, you're right. The, the level of silly was spot on for a Christmas special. If every yeah. episode going forward has the same, I mean, there, there were there were serious moments, there were scary moments when you know the baby goes missing. That's that's you know a horrific situation in in any scenario, isn't it? Any TV program. Mm-hmm. And then when the um the the foster mum the pictures have gone off the fridge. I thought that was a wonderful oh, scene. She, yeah, that is, that was so good. But these Christmas specials, I tend to find that you have, cause it is Christmas and nobody wants to, unless of course you're watching EastEnders, nobody wants to be depressed and, and made miserable by what they're watching on television on Christmas day. The Doctor Who Christmas specials, I tend to find are a certain way. They are a bit more lighthearted, a bit more silly, and you don't get as much of the dark edge to the doctor or the story. We had enough of it here but we had enough for silliness for a Christmas special. I hope it just moves back towards the, the more edgier, darker stuff a little bit when the new yeah. series, when the new series starts. Yeah. I think I'm not saying, is- I'm not saying completely just a little bit more of the one side, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think this as well, it, it, it told, it told the line really well in that it was a, it was a good Christmas special. It was a very, the best we've had for years, very good Christmas special. But it's laid enough of a foundation, given there's en- enough um, questions about Ruby and her past and who she is, and then, then the whole Mrs. Flood thing at the end. It's done a great job of setting up the next series, which is yeah. very difficult for um, a Christmas special to do when it is supposed to be a bit more of a light-hearted, daft episode. I thought mm. it, it, it walked that line really, really well. What I loved about that, and, and we might as well, well, there's a couple of things we need to touch upon, I suppose, very briefly before we uh, get to our, our listeners' uh, tweets and messages and so on. First of all, the sing song. What did you think of that? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's really, it's really catchy. <laughs> I just found myself at work uh, in between Christmas and New Year just like humming, it's the Goblin King, it's the Goblin King. Like that just to myself, like every so often, um, I thought it was, it was brilliant. The, the whole, we've, I mean, we spoke about it, you know, and, and, and we joke about you not liking change and whatnot. But I'm, I'm going to say now what I, what I said to you in, in a message. It's like we've had the doctor who played the recorder. We had the doctor who did Venusian karate. We had one that wore cricket gear. I thought you were coming in with a thing then or having a seizure or something. <laughs> <laughs> the last one, karate. Yeah, all right, fair enough. We had the doctor who wore cricket gear around all the time. Uh-huh. Um, Matt Smith played football. Peter Capaldi had his guitar. Why can't one of them have a sing song? No, okay, fair enough. And I, I like the way as well that 
it was released and did relatively well and, and the money all went to children in need. That's a lovely touch. Yeah. Um, um but, but it made context, it made sense in the context of the story. Well, that was the got, issue. They they've dropped in in the middle of a sing song as the baby's about to be to save the baby, and he's just like, What do we do? What do we do? They were enjoying the sing song. Let's carry on. <laughs> yeah. See that that's the big thing. When I read there was going to be, uh, in in the words of of the tweet or whatever it was, a musical number in Christmas Doctor mm. Who, my heart sank a little bit. I started to think, oh <laughs> no, what's going on here? But it did work with the context of the story. It yeah. did make me smile. I just hope we don't have a sing song in every episode. Well, this then it's fucking it, glee. Then it, then it dilute, you know what I mean? Then it dilute, then it dilute how special it was. Um, yeah, there you go. Because you know, it made sense in the context of the story. It was delivered very well. Um, Shooty and Ruby both got pipes on them. Um, so I'm mixing actor names and character names now. I know, but uh, it's just how my right. brain works. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think it's one of those where I, I said before about you know plot holes and whatnot. The only major one that annoyed me was when was at the end of the episode when the when Shooty. Pulls the ship down and impales it on the spire, and the spire, the church spire, goes through the the Goblin King's chest, and the whole thing just disappears because reasons. Mm. But but then it's Christmas special. I don't need a fucking reason. It, does it really bother me that much? No. Yeah, it's not. It's fine. Yeah. I don't really care. It's it's the whole Goblin stuff was almost secondary to what was going on and what was going on was establishing was getting shooting for his first story establishing the companion is and the, the questions around that and I think and, and the questions around Mrs. Flood at the end but then also I think we're going to see more play out from the whole idea of coincidence I've just okay. got a feeling that's going to come into play more it does feel like a, a, a Russell T. Davis thing, doesn't it? That it that was too much time going into it. Yeah, yeah. So you can, just, you can like just say that sowing the seeds, so isn't it? Yeah, you could just say that the goblins feed on coincidence. That's or you know stuff like that. That's why they've been doing it. You could leave it at that, but then they went back to it, and then they went after Ruby in the past, and, and, and there's just too much there to um, to ignore. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, Mrs. Flood, then. Thoughts? Can't wait to find out who she is. Yeah. That's no my idea. Point, play the guessing game or... like on Twitter as much, as long as yeah. like, you end up going down rabbit holes and driving yourself batshit crazy, I think. So, one thing I will say is, in the Bad Generation scene, in the giggle, uh, they cut out uh, Mel talking about uh, the Rani. Um, because... I think it was Donna asked Mel if she'd seen anything like this before. I said, well, I passed out and I missed it. She said, but there was this one time on, on whatever planet and that was somewhere where they were with the Rani or something like that in one of the stories. I can't, I don't know how it like crossed over. Um, but yeah, apparently there's a, that was a deleted scene. Uh, so there's a, there's a fair that. chance that, that Mrs. Flood might be the Rani. Interesting. That would be good. Yeah. But again, a, a hidden time Lord, feels a bit too obvious for Russell T coming back because he's already done it. Uh, he's already done it with the, with the master in his first run. Um, I don't know who I'd like it to be, but we'll find out. We also need to find out who the Meeps boss is, who the one who waits is, and who you know who was too terrifying for the uh, for the toy maker to get involved with. Probably just so all around. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But I mean, the thing is, 
I've seen a few people, and we'll come to it in a minute, uh, with, who mentioned on Twitter, saying that the 60th anniversary special didn't feel as big of an event as the 50th. And I kind of get that, but I think they were yeah, trying yeah. to do... But they were, they were trying, to, trying to achieve very different things. The 50th anniversary, it's, the, it's half a century. It's a big celebration of, of Doctor Who, of, of more so the, the, the modern Who, and with the, with the little smattering of the, the past in when Tom Baker came back. And it was designed to be one big showcase. Mm. This was felt very much more setting up for the future. It was saying goodbye to it felt like a goodbye to David and, and Donna and giving their characters a happy ending while also bringing in the new era. Mm. Yeah. It was less it was less about it was less about the it was less about the occasion and, and, and the time and more about bridging the gap. Yeah, I mean, they did explain, didn't they, the production team and and so on, the writers, that this is a soft reboot for the show. So yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, shall we dive into Twitter then, Dan, and see what we our best have, friends... I've got about twenty minutes. <laughs> no problem. We will begin with Glenn Abbott on Twitter, and he says, "I thought it was a mixed bag. Looking forward to where they're going with Shuti Gatwa and Millie Gibson." Two Doctors caused by a laser beam. Great twist to regeneration. Uh, his favourites in this order. The Giggle. Wild Blue Yonder. Church on Ruby Road. And then the Star Beast last. Oh, and he also yeah. mentions the woman's hand picking up the gold tooth at the end. Yes. Was that was that Mrs. Flood, he says. It's, it's got to be the Rani, mate, hasn't it? Everything's got to tie back into the Rani. It must do. It feels that way, but who knows? And we've also that's that's another thing we forgot about. There's some this is why we're gonna to have to do deep dives into every episode because we've only scratched the surface on a lot of the stuff here. The master is in that gold tooth, mm-hmm. so we've got the master to come back as well. Yep, time lords got on it, but yeah, I, I think yeah. I agree with Glenn's ranking as well. Um, because except I'd probably put Wild Blue Yonder and Church on Ruby Road sort of on a par. Sorry, you were gonna come in. Um. Uh, I, if I was, I've forgotten what I was going to say. Uh, Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I was going to come in. I think I'm, I don't know, but um, yeah, Glenn's Glenn's order there, the giggle being first, Wobbly Yonder. Um, yeah, I mean, I would put Wobbly Yonder above Church on Ruby Road to be honest. So I'm, I'm agreeing with him there. The first half of the giggle, fantastic. Second half, it was just kind of there. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't as good as the first half, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Mm. If I had to nail down an order, that's probably the way it would go for me as well, mate, yeah. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. Can't go wrong with that. And, uh, Glenn, um, I think he's going to be uh, he's going to be one of our season six guests. It'll be great to talk to. Oh, okay. Excellent. Uh, Pigs Butters on Twitter, our good friend there, he says, uh, all of the episodes were good overall. Highlights for me were the giggle and the church on Ruby Road. Is it Ruby Road or Ruby Street? Road, Ruby Road. Right, okay. Because both Pig's Bladders and Glenn have wrote Ruby, Ruby Street. So I'm saying Road and I'm reading it and I'm thinking, am I am I being a moron? But no, I'm not. No, no, they, they both got it wrong. Okay, sound. Um, <laughs> All out. <laughs> the giggle and the church on Ruby Road, equally the best episode, Pig's Bladders says. Oh, right. uh, enjoy, enjoyed the by regeneration but done for more crossover episodes down the road. Uh, Mrs. Flood, is it a river regeneration? Seems too obvious, but makes the most sense. Hmm. River's story arc has already been has already been completed twice. Um, 
the first time we saw her when her consciousness was saved in, in the library. Now, she, she could maybe come back from that, but she already used all of her regenerations to save Matt Smith. She then died in the library. But we got a bit more closure on that because in one of Capaldi's final episodes, uh, they, he took her to the singing towers of Derillion. Yeah. And he said, oh, you know, it's our final night together. And she she asks, how long is a night on Derillion? And it's 27 years. Yeah. <laughs> so the river thing is, is that's tied up, that's done for me. Yeah, um, I think so. Unless unless they go back to it, and maybe one of River's regenerations was a was a bad generation. But oh, again, that'd be a bit of a. But that well, you you said you wanted closure, right? I wanted someone wanted it to come back around and make sense. Maybe it builds towards that. But yeah, I think the whole the whole flood river, you know, the water connection is is a bit too obvious. Yes, I, I wouldn't surprise me at all if that's been put in there to purposely swear at people as well. Red herring, yeah. Uh, Pig Spiders continues. The new Doctor and Ruby combination seems a good fit so far. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how that relationship develops over the next season. It's always a hard task to introduce a new Doctor and companion in the same episode, but they let the story flow rather than force it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, it really is. I think the, the last time they did that was um, uh, the 11th hour with uh, Matt Smith and Amy Pond. Uh, Karen Gillan, sorry. Yeah. Because Clara would have gone across Smith into Capaldi. Yep. And then Bill had one season with Capaldi. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, no, Jodie Whittaker. Oh, Whittaker, and, uh, yeah. Whittaker, Whittaker, yeah, Whittaker and, and everybody else. In fact, they, they try, I still think they tried to do too much there because they introduced Yaz Ryan and Graham as well. Mm. You know, um, the, oh, I forgot the guy's name. The one who plays Graham. What's his name? Bradley Walsh. Bradley Walsh, there we go. He's hosting the Gladiators reboot, isn't he? Have you seen that? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Can you feel the power? Anyway, well, um, um, <laughs> a, wrestler, a wrestler from a wrestler from up my way, a uh, guy called Inserico, is the true grit champion. He's uh, he's apparently gone in for uh, to be a contestant on Gladiators. Fantastic! Oh man, a bit of nineties cheese, love it. Yeah. Ah, oh, Jet. Um, Rob at UTT Rob on Twitter. <laughs> he says, honestly, I was a bit underwhelmed by the tenant free parter, considering it was for the sixtieth. I didn't think it stacks up to other anniversary episodes like the three doctors five doctors day of the doctor or the power of the doctor although it was better than the two doctors and he would rank them um i've only got three here for some reason but by process of elimination i suppose it would put uh wobbly yonder last star beast giggle and then church on ruby road at the top okay um i mean Rob's entitled to his wrong opinion about Wild Blue Yonder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he continues, I wasn't a fan of the boy generation. The two doctors teaming up to defend, to defeat, sorry, not defend the toy maker. That's a whole different show, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the two doctors teaming up. Nobody can touch my mate. Um, <laughs> the two doctors teaming up to defeat the toy maker was great, but leaving Tenant alive is just lazy writing for a potential future spin-off. The return of Mal felt completely tacked on. Yeah, I, that's what I was trying to get at. I think. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, which, considering we have had the Ace and Tegan returns that were done really well, only a few episodes before makes it seem even worse. It's a shame that the power of the Doctor wasn't the 60th special and Tenant just part season 14. Oh, and just part of... T- yeah, okay. 
Yeah. Um, several Mrs. Flood theories, but I'm go- I'm leaning towards an Amy Pond River Song connection with the watery name. Okay. Now, if it was so, Amy died in. She got. I think she went. She Let's go back to the twenties. It was twenty. I think it was thirties. So she okay. died in about twenty ten. So if her and Rory had kids in that time, in the thirties, could be a granddaughter. Hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shite. I was going to say daughter, but if him, you know, him and Rory were, you know, say if we're being generous and say they were in the twenty, you know, late mid twenties in the thirties, so we're saying that Rory's dead, yes. Well, he's dead, yeah. Well, he might come back. Rory might be. I've seen a fan theory saying that the one who waits is actually Rory, oh, and that he just no. he just never fucking dies. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! It was. A I'll joke. tell you what. I'll tell, I'll tell you what they'll do as well. If they're going to do that, just to screw me over, they'll bring back Adric as well, and the pair of them will come on doing a musical <laughs> number and a sing song. There we go. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Rob says also the church on Ruby Road was really good Shooty and Millie felt like the right casting I'm looking forward to the next season that's fair enough yeah yeah I mean that, that's all fair enough from Rob um, I've said my piece on the uh, we've said enough about the bad generation and whatnot but it, it's great that there's so much positivity around uh, around Shooty and Millie mm, yes indeed um, Glenn Abbott we have another one from he says just seen the trailer for the new series looks like 15 is going to be raiding the dressing up box a lot yes uh, now, this is I wanted to get your thoughts on this because most of the doctors have had not a uniform I suppose but a set you know a, a set costume haven't they that yeah. changes throughout time a little bit like Tom Baker obviously went with different kind of jackets and so does Sylvester McCoy and so on if the doctors change in get up every episode how do you feel about that? Because me personally, I, I, I've got no issue with the Doctor changing his get-up here and there, but I do like to have a sort of almost set collect, you know, set clothing. There's, 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 a, there's a look, isn't there? There's a look per Doctor. And I yeah, think there you that, that there's, um, that there's promo, the promo pictures of, uh, of Shooty wearing a, um, a specific suit. I can't remember what it looks like. Uh, but I think what we've seen is a lot of Shooty in sort of period dress. You know, like style of the time sort of thing to blend in, um, which I'll be more than happy with. Like I say, go back to the core style, fair enough, but they're obviously leaning towards a Beatles storyline, so why wouldn't you go in a Beatles suit, you know? Yeah, yeah, fair point. So, I'm looking forward to it, yeah. Something that's going to be interesting as well, it's just that I thought about the other day. We've We've seen issues in the past with certain characters a big one being uh martha of course when the doctor was um, they were hiding from the family of blood and so on mm. being in a certain era and uh because of her ethnicity having effectively racial issues racist issues going mm. on because of the time it was set in the doctor might experience that now for the first time you yeah. can't have the doctor uh traveling back to um you know the deep safe in the US in the 1930s or 40s or whatever. It's a you know it's a completely different situation, isn't it? So that's that's something else to think about going forward, isn't it? There's going to be a great scope for 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 telling those stories, mm. absolutely, and and for and for uh, and for uh, I'm struggling for the words because I said before that Russell T didn't uh, hasn't shied away from anything like that. It's going to be a it's going to be a harsh truth, 
and reality to and, and authenticity to it. Hopefully, with the, with shooting involved. Yeah, yeah. And the thing again, is, again, it, sorry, just to bring back that, it should make you uncomfortable and make you question yourself and 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 you know anybody's behaviour in the past or present or future. You know, it should be asking those questions. Mm. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, and, and very, I suppose, similar to when Whitaker was the Doctor, I had the mindset then of, you know, we've had female Time Lords, we've had male Time Lords regenerate into female Time Lords in, in older shows, mm. in older stories, so it can happen. And also, we've had Black Time Lords before, so for those people online who have moaned about that, yeah. fuck you, basically. Exactly. Ah, Facebook, <laughs> we <laughs> have... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Facebook, we have uh, your good friend, Mackenzie Crompton here, and she says... Never heard uh, of can't... No? Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, can't say about the newest one, as I haven't been able to see it yet, but I did enjoy the Tenant episodes. Easy to watch, entertaining, and just like going home. I loved seeing Wilfred again. Just wish they had the common sense to film a little bit more with him in one go at the time, so that if he popped off, they had the footage. Rest in peace, Bernard Cribbins. Well, they yeah, tried. I, I, um, they he tried, and, well, and then he? he got, and then he got ill. He, you know, his illness um, took a turn, which is which is very sad. But I, I do agree. I wish we'd see more of it because uh, even the line that he had in the giggle was was actually audio spliced from a, an older episode. Uh, okay um, but you know we got what we got and it was very nice to see him but yeah i'm with mckenzie i wish i could have seen more yeah fair enough uh really enjoyed all three i love the toy maker he was the psycho we need every once in a while i'm intrigued <laughs> to see where they go with this splitting the doctors but i reckon we will see tenant again episodes best to worst not that i thought either were or any were bad uh is a struggle but i would say uh, number three, the Star Beast, even though they loved Meep, called him out for being evil as soon as I saw him. Um, number two, Wobbly Londer. And number one, the Giggle. So fair enough. Yeah, absolutely fair enough. Yeah, can't say, can't say too much about that. Yeah, so that's that. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who messaged us on Twitter, Facebook, or X, or whatever it's bloody well called now. I don't freaking know. It's Twitter. Uh, it's, yeah, it's Twitter. <laughs> it's always good to hear from listeners of the show. Uh, but that's kind of it, I guess, Dan, isn't it? Our, our sort of brief overlook of the whole uh, four specials that we got at the end of 2023. The worst part of it all for me was at the end of the Christmas special, the sign going up saying the Doctor will be back in May. I feel that's too <laughs> fucking long. And I didn't like that one bit. Anyway, we can look into sort of a, you know how we're going to cover newer episodes when the season starts properly in May. Before we do that, we have Castro Valva to look at in our next episode. And then we're back going down our usual routine for the rest of the season. One story per doctor per season. But before we depart today, Dan, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find your good self online? You can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, uh, usually tweeting uh, a load of utter bollocks, uh, to be quite frank. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm over there. If you want to hear more of me talking about stuff, I'm on SJP World Media uh, with the volley with my strike partners, uh, the magnificent Matt Lewis and Connor from Connor Knows Footy, providing ultimate commentary for mostly Premier League games, but we have dipped into the MLS and we'll be looking to do a bit more in the future. And I'm also on Unbooking the Territory with my partner in podcasting, Piss Henry, UTT Rob, looking at the first and last of professional wrestling, as well as a variety of side projects from looking at the life and times of, of the in-ring career of uh, Tank Abbott, 
to being the elite championship where they're playing gator golf for a wrestling belt to unstacking Dadatory where we're looking at uh, everything that still survives of Big Daddy versus Giant Haystacks and the run-up to Wembley 1981 where 18 million people watch the two big beefy bookers go at it in a wrestling match. Lovely stuff. As opposed to two big beefy buggers talking about Doctor Who like us today. Exactly right. But I'll tell you what, mate, next time I see you, we'll do a, a belly bounce like Super Collider finish that, uh, that they used to do. And we'll, I don't know, we'll try and murder Marty, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Anything <laughs> I am involved in, you can find by the network that carries this show. And that's at SJP World Media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all your places where you get your podcasts as well. We've got live shows on YouTube. We're on Spotify, iTunes, everywhere you can imagine. Just search for SJP World Media. Uh, oh, we cover all sorts, don't we, Dan? Wrestling, football, TV, loads of stuff going on, music and all sorts. There's too much to list, mate. Too much to list. Yeah, all, good, all great stuff, there we go. Uh, and that's that then. We will be back next time with our look at Cost- Castro Valva. I've been struggling to say that all episode, and I just I, I think I got away with it right until the end, and then I fuck it up on the last one. Oh, mate, at least you got through 99% of the podcast. Yeah, fair point. I'll speak to you next week, mate. Catch you soon, bud. Uh, to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. I can't believe you called it Castro Valva. <laughs> Well, that's all right then. (laughs) (laughs) The splishy and the splishy and the sploshy. It's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. I don't want to go. That was a nice nap. Now, down to business. There we go. I've seen seen photos of you with short hair when you were younger, it just doesn't look right. It's fucking weird, isn't it? But then I've, I've only ever seen you with, only ever known you with the long hair, so. There's some pictures that come up on like your old Facebook memories and whatnot, and my hair's like, I used to have a shaved head for a start. You know, yeah. that was that was weird. And then the one time I had a shaved head, and you know when you, when you had little, you know, you're trimming your beard, and I had a little goatee sort of thing, a bit Stone Cold-esque, I guess, do you know what I mean? And it was, uh, I was trimming it one side, and then it weren't straight, so I trimmed it the other. Before I knew it, I had to take the old thing off. So I had a shaved head and a shaved face. I look like mm. I was really poorly. I'd just been to hospital or something. Oh, mate, if, you like, go, um, if you go far enough back on my Facebook, you can see when I, I shaved my whole head and, and waxed my chest for charity. Brilliant. I look like a terrifying fat baby. <laughs> uh, I look like a walking pair of eyebrows when I shave my head and the beard <laughs> off. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> on that yeah, note. We best, best, best get cracking. <laughs> That's one for the outtakes, isn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. Uh, right. Oh, that kind of oh, do you know what? Actually, no, I've, I've just realised I look like the Goblin King from Doctor <laughs> from, Church, <laughs> from Church on Ruby Road. Oh, that needs sharing now. That image needs sharing. I'll find it. When this drops, you have to tag it.